Hey everyone, welcome back. On this week's episode, you'll hear me interview Dr. Rebecca Quintangeli, a pelvic floor physical therapist for the Movement Paradigm, located in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Listen to her story of switching careers to follow her passion and how she's helping people with pelvic pain minimize their symptoms through a functional medicine approach. Welcome to the ICU podcast. I'm your host, Callie, registered dietitian living with interstitial cystitis. Each week, I'll be diving into hot topics in the IC world, giving others a platform to share their story, and I may even reveal some of my favorite nutrition tips. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get into the episode. All right. So, Rebecca, why don't you give the listeners a little introduction on yourself? All right. So I'm a physical therapist. I actually started my career as an athletic trainer. I loved it, got into it because of sports. And one day had this huge epiphany that I'm going to be watching other kids play sports when I'd be missing out on maybe my kids. So I decided that I wanted to go back to school and I really wanted to do PT. Took a couple of years for me to finish my credits to get into PT school. And lucky me, I ended up having my son um, and I interviewed for school six days after having an emergency C-section with him. It was definitely a crazy experience for sure. And it was the first time that I recognized that there was a big lapse in care for women, especially in that area for pelvic floor. And when I was going through school, they kept telling us, don't specialize, don't specialize, don't niche yourself until you've practiced for some time. But I knew the best thing would be to get experience from someone in the field during a clinical experience. So I asked for a rotation then and the into pelvic floor PT with a specialist there working with men and women, different experiences, and also in an orthopedic setting. And that's when I realized, yes, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And so then after graduation, I started working for the movement paradigm and we are functional, we're rooted in functional medicine. So rather than it just being traditional PT, where you're coming in for back pain, we just stay focused on that. We're looking at all aspects of it. So we're looking at diet and sleep and hormones, all the things that really can contribute to the pains that you're experiencing, especially since most of the time, it's not just the low back pain. You're also having shoulder pain and some other difficulties as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that experience. I was wondering, what does the education side of things look like for physical therapists first? And then second, how do you specialize in pelvic floor physical therapy? Yeah, um, it's definitely an interesting area to get in for, for sure, because in school, we get a little bit of a snapshot of what pelvic floor PT looks like. We have some coursework in it, whether it's extra classes, some people take it depending on the school that you go to. I went to Newman University and we're a non-traditional setting as well, uh, only went on weekends. So it was pretty intense three years going on weekends. Um, and that meant for a couple years out of our program, a couple weekends throughout that kind of sprinkled in some of the PT for pelvic floor, what it looked like. We never did an internal assessment there because you can do two different types of assessments. You can do um, your vaginal assessment and rectal assessment. When we come out of school, because we weren't given that when we were in our graduate program, we're not able to actually practice as a public floor PT until we go through more continuing ed for it. Um, the rest of our program now we're very well experienced in treating a whole bunch of different areas. So we can do pediatrics, we can do orthopedic, geriatrics. Um, and then we're even given, so to change us from master level to doctorate, we had to do research as well. So we have a whole bunch of research courses and some people actually do decide to go down that avenue when they finish PT school. Some do it right away, not really common, but some people practice for some time, find an area that they really enjoy and then go into research for PT. Um, the coursework for continue education in public floor, you can do it with Herman and Wallace is who I actually use. That's pretty much the big one that most people know. They do have one as well through our association for physical therapy. 
some people have done that as well. More, I think people have done it through Herman and Wallace. They do have online content that you can do and they have satellite labs. You're required to do the lab component in order to say you can treat pelvic floor PT. That's where you actually are able to do the internal assessments and really learn how to treat and actually really figure out what's going on with the pelvic floor. I say internal assessments and I know it sets off so many people. They say, oh my gosh, I don't want you doing that uh-huh. at all. Like it scares <laughs> so many people because they say, well, my doctor already did it and they sent me here. So can't you just figure it out? Yes, I actually can do it without doing an internal assessment. Um, I recognize that people have had so many past experiences, whether it's in relationships with a significant other or it's actually from a doctor. Um, Unfortunately, there's not very many people who get to experience only a woman doctor. Most women have had a male OB or OBGYN and they just did not feel very comfortable with that. And it kind of just makes them very uncomfortable to even get an internal assessment. Mm -hmm. My internal assessment is very different than what they do. I don't have any clamps and lights and all these extra (laughs) probes at all. I don't go through any of that craziness, but I totally leave it up to my patient and their comfort level for whether or not they want to do that too. That's amazing. And you said the whole men being OBGYNs and it made me think of my old OBGYN who literally manhandled me every single time I saw him. And yeah, the look on your face. Yeah. It's, (sighs) it was not a good experience. And, and just like being a, a woman who, you know, you have to do that in order to, you know, each year you're supposed to get checked so they're gonna have to do like the pap smear and all that stuff so like you know the rest of your life you're gonna have to keep doing it so luckily I figured out that finding a woman was probably a better choice for me and luckily I did find somebody who does talk me through the whole thing and I think that's really important and I I'm glad that you brought all of that up because I know a lot of people that I talk to are really hesitant to start pelvic floor PT. And I'm glad that you said that it's, you don't have to do an internal exam. And for a lot of people, just knowing that there's a choice is Mm -hmm. so helpful. Yeah. And I love that you said that there is a choice. If you're working with someone and it feels like they're not giving you that choice and it feels like the relationship really isn't there as much as you might've already started your care with them, it might just not be the right fit. And you might have to kind of find either shop around or find different referral. Um, A lot of times I have people come to me, they were referred by a doctor or a friend or someone who said, Oh yeah, you should do pelvic floor PT. And I guess you're just going to have to do the internal assessment. And at that point, I've already recognized that an internal assessment is not really going to benefit us because they're just going through the motions of doing it. And I recognize it's not really the best time for them. So I just educate them on what an internal assessment looks like. And whenever they're ready to do it and they feel like it's the right time and space, then we can easily do that. But we'll do as much work as we can without that information. And whenever they feel comfortable, we can always go down the next avenue for it. Okay. so. What does an initial visit with you look like? And I, I know that it's going to vary between physical therapists, but for you, what does that look like? Yeah. So in, so I'm in a non-traditional setting where I do one-on-ones with my patients. Um, we're non-insurance based. So they're, they're stuck with me for the whole hour. <laughs> I don't pass them off to anyone else. So the first visit They fill out paperwork for us and it is lengthy. It gives us all the information we need though. It's the best snapshot that I can get of everything that they've currently been experiencing and then anything in the past. A lot of times people think what they're experiencing is all separate, but really at some point we can easily connect all those dots and figure out, okay, well, what's the best thing rather than thinking that that fall that you had five years ago is not really affecting that jaw pain that you're currently having. It's all interconnected. Um, And it really gives me the best information from that. But like I said before, we're also looking at the sleep and the hormone component during that eval can take me anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes to go through that information. And then no matter what, I'm going through a assessment of their movement. 
So I'm going to be looking when they're standing in front of me, how their movement is in their neck, all the way through their spine, and then through the hips. I'm also going to be looking at some functional movements, like how a squat looks, as well as how they look when they're walking. And because I do have certifications in barefoot, as well as the pelvic floor assessment, I will also look at the feet because that's our foundation. So it's all interconnected. And I really like to see what's going on at the feet. At that point, after I've looked at all those things, then I ask them if that's the point that they want to do an internal assessment or not. If they say yes, then we take 15 minutes going through that. At any point, I always leave it open. I make sure that they're feeling comfortable. I'm communicating the entire time about what movements I'm going to be doing, how they're feeling. And if they ever want to stop, we can always stop, even if it's within that first minute. And they're like, eh, you know what? This just really isn't the right time. Um, then we just stop the assessment and then we will go into just muscle assessment. So anyone who just decides, yeah, you know, I'm going to hold off on doing an internal assessment. I'll be looking at hip mobility, back mobility, any restrictions there, as well as some strength as well. And then before they leave, they're always going to leave with exercises. So I'll make sure that they feel like they understand the exercises. And then I provide them with videos and any education that they need. And I usually try to pick one lifestyle thing for them. So if we were going through the eval and they said that they had really poor sleep, then we'll start to figure out how to make better sleep habits for them. So creating a routine, reducing TV time or screen time, those different types of things to make sure that we're really addressing their overall health for them too. Yeah, that's fantastic. And for the past like three minutes, I have been stuck on this whole feet thing. Can you tell me more about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before I even finished school, I actually took a certification in barefoot therapy. So I'm barefoot therapist. I'm a barefoot specialist. And um, that's hilarious just to say out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually barefoot all day. I'm currently barefoot at my facility right now. We Wait, don't wear like shoes. no socks? No socks. Aren't yeah. your feet cold? So that's the funny thing. When I first started, my boss that I work with, all the time she'd be walking around barefoot. I'm like, you have to be freezing. And yeah. I'd be wearing wool socks and 10 layers. And I was like, my feet are still so cold. But the more that you actually stimulate your feet by reducing the amount of cushion between, so shoes and socks and those types of things, I actually can walk around barefoot in the facility and feel perfectly fine. The only place that still gets me is our back area is concrete. So that just sucks the heat right out of me. So I don't walk barefoot back there, but yeah, we're barefoot all day. It's great. Wow. So what can you do with your barefoot certification? Oh, yes, I can do so much. I love it. Thank you for asking that question. Of course. <laughs> so the reason why I actually wanted to get the barefoot certification, I was kind of looking at it and I was like, well, it seems really different and interesting. And it would definitely make me stand out for sure. Because I mean, it, I said it and it, it stuck with you. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely an area of topic where people are like, oh, tell me more about it. And because it's definitely become this really big thing where people are like, oh, well, I saw someone run a marathon barefoot. Well, <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far into things. A bit extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the reason why I really fell in love with it is the integration component of it. So it is really taking your whole body and making everything work as a unit rather than just looking at it and saying, oh, okay, just the foot's doing this one thing. When your foot is in contact with the ground, it's sending a signal up to your brain and communicating, hey, your foot is about to come in contact with the ground. This is what you should be doing to help stabilize your foot, your knee, your hip, your pelvis, everything up the whole chain. So for me getting into pelvic floor PT, that's when I realized when I was working with pelvic floor PTs, I was kind of like, all right, we're working on the table and we're doing all this table work. And sometimes we get into the chair, but like they don't live their life this whole time, just laying in bed and sitting in a chair. When are we going to start to work to integrate it in? When do we start getting them up on their feet? And it kind of was some of the exercises they would start to cue some of that, but I felt like there was so much more and that's what barefoot specialty has gotten me to be able to do. So one of the big exercises that I like to do is something called short foot very different than what some people have heard of where you're sitting in a chair and you're just kind of scrunching your toes. 
it's actually a really light activation where you're just gently connecting your toes enough to activate the muscles with inside the foot, not the ones that are up in your calf. But then that small activation loads the plantar fascia, which is attached to your Achilles. And then that just keeps working its whole way up through to the pelvic floor. And the most important thing is to learn how to turn it on and off with activation. Because when we're walking, muscles are on and off throughout the whole whole cycle. They're never just always on or always off. So we're just retraining our brain to understand how to stabilize from the foot all the way through to the core. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you're absolutely right about (laughs) we don't live our life on our backs. We live our life on our feet. And that's so thought provoking. Like I'm just like (laughs) totally in my head about it now. I'm like, Oh, I've never had a physical therapist do anything with me on my feet. (laughs) I know. I know. And it's definitely interesting when I've been working with some people who said to me, Oh, I well, I've done this whole public floor thing before. And it's kind of just gut wrenching to me at that point, because I realized that I know that they're missing this big piece. So right away, I make sure that their foundation's already set with some of that table work and the chair work. But then right away, one of the first things I'm going to do is start to get that integration, making sure that they know how to do short foot, because it's such a big key piece for us to start working with and then making sure that it integrates into their everyday life because maybe they have back pain or hip pain when they're doing laundry. That's an easy spot for us to start to work on some of those mechanics to decrease that discomfort because that's the biggest piece is making sure that, yeah, you can do things in your PT session, but it's not going to do anything for you if it's not bleeding into your everyday life for you. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. I, I have been to four different pelvic floor physical therapists and every single one of them has a different style or different method. Um, but I have never had anybody like yourself and I'm, I'm sure none of them were, uh, barefoot certified. Am I saying that right? Yeah. So yep. Yep. Barefoot (laughs) certified. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Is, is this short foot thing? something people can like listen to you talk about and then kind of do at home? It's kind of a tricky one. They can try it. Um, I definitely always recommend like watching someone doing it too, because seeing it, some people are really good listeners and things just automatically connect for them. Some people need to see things. Some people need to feel things. So I can definitely easily walk through it of how to get the exercise. But I always say, when you think that you need to do more, you actually probably have to do a little less with this exercise. So I always like to kind of give that recommendation. And if you do it and you don't really feel it where the intentions are meant to be, either shake it out, reset it. And if you're still not feeling it, then I would hold and then just reach out to someone and see if they would be able to educate you through it. If you can find another barefoot certified person. I was thinking like, how many of you are there in this country? There are not many of us. (laughs) unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, this type of certification gets more publicity or awareness. That would be really cool. I know. Yeah. We definitely are trying to get the word out. Um, the hard thing is, is a lot of people who would benefit from it, like, um, physical therapists to work with their, their patients. A lot of people tend to stray away from doing it because it's not, recognized for CEUs for us. So we would take that time to do it, but then it wouldn't go towards covering CEUs. So a lot of people say they only really want to focus on doing CEUs that could really make sure that they cover that base. And I understand that when I was an athletic trainer, that's kind of what I wanted to do too. But then I realized that my patients and the people I was working with weren't benefiting from that. So hopefully more people start to stray away from that and get into that kind of area instead. Yeah, that'd be so cool. So I'm wondering, you know, we're, we're used to thinking of pelvic floor physical therapy for women, but how does it look different with men or does it look different? Obviously they don't have a vagina, but how does it look different? (laughs) So really it's not too different. That's the crazy thing is that men are kind of like, Oh, like pelvic floor PT is just for women. It has nothing to do with me at all. 
men really are experiencing a lot of the same things. They just don't recognize it. So that low back pain that they have probably coming from pelvic floor, that hip pain that they have probably coming from the pelvic floor. Um, most of the time, unfortunately, men who are experiencing that, they don't come for it. The time that I actually see them is after surgeries. So right now, sadly, that's kind of the only men that are getting much of that treatment. So if they had prostate surgery due to cancer or anything along those lines, there is structural differences now for them. They just had a surgery within the area and now it's a little bit more open and they need to be able to get some understanding of how to contract those muscles. That's really what I'm doing for them. Um, depending on the setting that you're in, some PTs like to use stim on those muscles and help kind of educate of how to contract those muscles to give them biofeedback. I, there's a lot of evidence that completely supports that. I just feel like I do a little bit better with educating my patients on their own of how to feel it. So I actually just use a towel instead for my biofeedback of how to pull away from it and get into that. For men, a lot of times, the only other thing that they really need to address is when they're a little bit older and they're constantly going to the bathroom. So men don't really experience that until the prostate starts to really push on the urethra and start to irritate some of those structures and they're going to the bathroom a lot, they get really irritated. So that's just something that we can kind of walk through to make sure that they're educated on proper bladder habits to make sure that they don't run into any issues with that. Gotcha. Okay. That makes more sense. Um, so do you see a lot of people? Well, first of all, do you, do you see people with IC? I haven't actually seen anyone in this setting currently right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, two and a half years ago, which is kind of crazy to think about was I did treat someone before with IC. So it has been a little bit time, but yes, I have worked before with someone who had IC. Okay. And do you notice or you know have you talked with other coworkers or other pts like do you see a lot of people with ic that have other um related conditions like maybe um like <laughs> ibs or you know different different things in that same region mm-hmm. yeah so normally one of the other big diagnoses that they will also be given is pelvic floor dysfunction so that's the muscles not being balanced properly. So either the posterior muscles, which help with having bowel movements are over tight or weak, and then vice versa, same thing for the front muscles. So the ones that help you urinate, they could either be too tight or they could be weak. And if there's tightness in the front and everything's okay in the back at some point, they work together, you're going to start to get tightness as bleeds in there, or it starts to cause the weakness in the back which causes this dysfunction of communication between the muscles. And then because of that, that can lead into so many other things. It can lead into constipation. It could also lead into bowel disorders. You name it. It definitely starts to affect things up the chain for sure too, into the Mm -hmm. gut. Yeah. So those Mm -hmm. organs do talk to each other and you know, that the whole back pain, kind of relating to everything, it makes sense because that's where the nerves are coming from, especially like in the low back, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, it's very interesting. A lot of times we are told core and immediately think abdominal muscles. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I still do it every once in a while Mm -hmm. too, but the core is actually a 360. So it's the abdominal muscles on the front, specifically your transverse abdominus. You have your back muscles on the back, which are your multifidi. On the base, you have your pelvic floor muscles. And at the top, you have your diaphragm. So that full 360, that's where you're getting all your stability from. So when you're up moving, walking, that's your core stability right there. Those four muscles. If there starts to be anything off, say in the pelvic floor, because you have tightness, now they work in a unit. So now it's communicating to your back to start to tighten up or the hip muscles, which are right around that area to tighten up just because of the close proximity and how much they all work together. That's why you'll definitely start to get that discomfort. 
Now leading back into what you said too, with the nerves, the nerves do come out of the back area and they work the muscles and the pelvic floor in the back as well. So if there's anything going on with the back, it can also disrupt the pelvic floor muscles too, just because the nerves are coming out from that area and can be pinched, which then starts to send the signal to tighten up to those muscles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about bowel movements. So, <laughs> cause I know you wanted to talk about it and I know <laughs> I want to talk about it. So let's talk about it. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. I always say to people like no one ever taught us how to poop. So I love this question. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So how do you address bowel habits with your patients? So one of the first thing I always ask them is they're, if they're going to the bathroom every single day. And the other thing that I like to pull out is the Bristol stool chart. If Mm -hmm. you haven't seen it, it's definitely an interesting chart to look at. Definitely (laughs) Google it. Yes, I highly recommend it because then you start to understand what's happening. It gives you so much information, color, texture, smells as well that comes with it because your diet could be driving a lot of your discomfort in your bowels as well. Um, So I started to ask them that information and it's very interesting because a lot of times so many of my patients say, oh yeah, well, I thought I was constipated, but I'm not. And then when I started to dig into it more, I started to realize, no, you are still constipated. Like (laughs) that's still happening. And what ends up happening is someone will say, oh yeah, well, I go every day. Okay, perfect. So yeah, it doesn't sound like you are constipated, but what do your bowel movements actually look like? And we start to look at the Bristol stool chart and they say, oh, well, sometimes it's like pebbles that are coming out and it's really hard to push out. And then the next day it's water for a day or two. And then maybe I might not go for a little bit. And then a little bit later, if there's pebbles coming out, that starts to tell me that there is a level of constipation that's happening because The pebbles that are coming out is definitely letting me know that there's not enough fiber or water or just even the mechanics of it, which I'll definitely talk about in a second, um, that are properly sitting there for the patient. And then the reason why we have that loose watery stool is because the body recognizes that what's sitting right there in the rectum isn't going to be able to get out. And now there's all this stuff behind it that needs to get out. And the only way to do it is load it as much as you can with water so it can get around that blockage. So a lot of times when people say, oh yeah, I'm not constipated, but then they start to tell me that I'm like, well, (laughs) we're going to try our hardest to make sure that we don't need to go down the avenue of addressing the constipation. So we start to do some diet modifications for that. Um, But then most importantly, we start to retrain those mechanics that none of us were taught. And it's so funny. I had, um, so my son is, is five. And all I kept saying to myself was, okay, if I can get this kid to be potty trained, I think I win as a public floor PT. That's all I kept telling myself. (laughs) And um, now he goes around to his teachers who tell him all the time, like, oh, just push it out. It's okay. And he starts to educate them now, which is great that it's actually not the proper mechanics of how to poop. So that feels like (laughs) your five-year-old is teaching his teachers how to poop. That's so funny. It's great. And that's what I definitely feel is a win is that when I can teach someone enough that they can educate someone else, that feels awesome for me. So one of the techniques that I treat with is something called belly big, belly hard. The biggest thing that I also teach is the squatty potty or the use of getting your knees up. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I always thought that it was such a gimmick. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're just trying to sell another thing. But it's actually really good for your body. When we're sitting down on the toilet, majority of us either have that regular toilet where you're sitting at 90 degrees with your knees, or even the knees are dropped down because it's one of those higher toilets. And what that does then is there's muscles that sit along the rectum that pull it back and won't make it easy for you to have a bowel movement. If you pull your knees up, that doesn't mean you're going into a squat and pulling them all the way in. You're going to about 110 degrees. That's what the squatty potty does for you. Mm -hmm. That pulls a muscle off of your rectum so that now it's a clear passage for everything to just easily flow through and you don't have to push against anything. 
But so many of us are trained into pushing, which is not ideal at all. We actually want to lengthen the pelvic floor. So our pelvic floor goes through a uh, contraction, which is so that we don't lose that stool or have urine leak out. Um, then it goes back to a relaxed state, but then it goes through a lengthening state so that we can have that bowel movement. None of us were ever trained on how to do that, but belly, big belly, heart does it for you. I always teach this to my patients actually on a towel rolled up so that they can actually feel that lengthening. When you do it for the first time on a toilet, you don't get as much feedback. So it feels really hard of like, is it actually doing that or not doing it? Um, what you end up doing is get a good breath down into the diaphragm, fill up that belly. And then for three seconds, you blow out into a closed fist and then finish the breath away from the closed fist. So it's pretty much like blowing up a balloon that's resisting you to get that lengthening to naturally happen. Once you've done that enough, the body starts to recognize, oh, I don't need to push to have a bowel movement. And it just becomes natural habit that when you get those knees up, you start to breathe. It just naturally starts to happen for you. You don't need to push anymore to have a bowel movement. Wow. I'm learning a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> Funny because my um, my, my best friend's family, we all went to the beach this year and at the condo we were staying at, there was a squatty potty. Um, and we were all like taking turns pooping with this squatty potty. And it just was like the funniest concept to me. Like we were all just like waiting our turn for the squatty potty, <laughs> but it was probably game changing for you. Was it when you had, just, when you went in there, it was different. I have to say it, it's different to go from that 90 degree angle to whatever the squatty potty gets you to. And, you know, it, I do want to get one, but my, my personal pelvic floor PT told me like, if you don't have anything, you could, you know, make your own little makeshift squatty potty out of whatever you can find that can lift your feet up. Or even if you go up on your tippy toes, that mm. can help a little bit too. So I thought those were some, some good tips. Yeah, I, I definitely suggest those for my patients too. Cause a squatty potty is it's expensive. I'm not going to, how lie. much is it? It depends. We have one here. Now you can see we're kind of really rustic and we have wood. So we went with the theme of wood in ours. I think it can go up to $60 depending on the style that you go for. But you're telling me your squatty potty is wood. <laughs> yeah, It's like what? a bamboo look. <laughs> that's so bougie like I love that you guys did that <laughs> we couldn't go against the the nice style that we had in here of comfort <laughs> uh -huh. that's so funny um one of my previous pelvic floor pts taught me the bowel massage and that was a game changer for me yeah thank you for bringing that that's a really good one too so sometimes what I'll teach my patients outside of that if they're telling me that they are kind of on that constipated level of things. Um, we do some diet modification where it's the fiber component, maybe magnesium citrate with it, and then making sure that they're having enough water because most of us don't have enough water, mm -hmm. um, which the guidelines of water, I don't know if anyone has ever talked about that. It's half of your body weight in ounces, but mm -hmm. it's a guideline. You just use your pee to kind of tell you with that. Right. Um, so sometimes then also I'll give that, they call it the ILU massage for your belly. Mm -hmm. And that kind of just helps facilitate the natural movement of what's happening in the stool and just kind of gives it that kickstart. I also say to, and she, your pelvic floor PT might've done this, is kind of, you're just recreating a routine for your bowels. So bowels normally like to be morning poopers, but most of the time people are different. So you might feel like you always have to go in the afternoon ideally creating a, a routine and a habit for your bowels makes it a lot easier for you to have your bowel movement. So I say, sip your coffee in the morning, if that's what you normally do or tea, do the massage. And then once you feel like you need to go to the bathroom, don't hold it. That's mm -hmm. when you just need to go. You don't want to decrease the sensation of needing to go to the bathroom. Right. And I think that's something that people with IC can struggle with because it's recommended to avoid caffeine. So that's a huge thing. I think that is kind of like a, an obstacle for a lot of people. So I think these methods could be very helpful if that's the case. Yeah. Another recommendation I make sometimes too, because 
Some of our patients are on restricted diets as well. So caffeine is actually out of the books for them too. So I say you could always use, and this is a personal preference, taking warm water with a little bit of lemon in it. And then that can sometimes just facilitate a bowel movement for people. Can you well. do a water, warm water without lemon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, yeah. I mean, that's super lame, but you know, you got to do, we got to do sometimes when your bladder is angry mm-hmm. and we all know that if you are having issues with constipation or even, you know, if you have diarrhea as well, like if, if your bowels are out of whack, it's going to affect your bladder too. Yeah. So that could cause a, a flare. And a lot of people don't know that that mm-hmm. can cause a flare with your bladder. So I think that's important to, to mention. Um, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to ask you about that I literally just learned this week from somebody I follow on Instagram is splinting. Yeah. What okay. is splinting and do you recommend it? Yeah. So if you feel like you need to splint in order to have a bowel movement, I always recommend getting an assessment at that point because it could be a couple of different things. It could be that maybe there is too much stool that's in there that's creating that you need to kind of assist those muscles to support them a little bit, but it can also be a prolapse as well. So it could be a rectocele, which would be the colon end of things, the rectum. It could be your bladder. It could also be your uterus as well. So you just want to make sure that if you feel like you need to be doing splinting, um, in order to have a bowel movement, then I would reach out and definitely see if, okay, is, is this what's happening? Cause the more that if you do have one of those prolapses that's occurring, there's a pressure management that you need to start to learn of, okay, well, I'm building out too much pressure, pushing against these organs. And that's where belly, big belly hard really comes in. Cause you're not pushing down. You're just helping those pelvic floor muscles open and lengthen, which is ideal because then things are moving along with it rather than pelvic floor muscles tightening and then poorly squishing your bladder and your rectum and all those things kind of just squeeze them between it, which can lead into those prolapses. Um, if you are splinting those, normally some people do it because, oh, when I did it one time, I realized it made it a little bit easier. Sometimes you're also educated from your public floor PT to do it, to help assist it. Um, and it's really taking one finger or two fingers, however many you need. And you're going to the space between the vagina opening and the rectum, which we call the perineum. And you're providing support very gentle with a finger as you're having your bowel movement. Ideally, it shouldn't feel like you're pushing against it. Um, and then you just are able to easily have that bowel movement without things feeling like it's really moving on you. That's what splinting is. It's so interesting. Like the things I I pick up through social media accounts, it's like, you always have to make sure that it's safe, run it by your doctor, run it by your PT, like make sure there's not something underlying going on. And, you know, Mm -hmm. just paying attention to your, your bowel movements is really helpful. And if I, for, for diet recommendations, at least how I approach it is I always think of three things. I think of fiber. Are they getting enough? Are they getting too much? Um, usually that's not the case. Um, (laughs) fluids, are they staying hydrated, which most people are not. And then lastly, are they moving? So that's another big piece of helping, uh, stay regular. And the thing with, I see is if you're somebody who's really suffering, you might not be getting enough movement. And a lot of people also, if they have frequency, they might struggle with drinking enough water. So there could be so many things and it's such an individualized, um, you know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's just a very individualized thing that, you know, seeing, either your doctor or getting in touch with a registered dietitian, or even someone like yourself, who's familiar with, um, ways to either prevent or, um, treat constipation. I I think that's, you know, the safest avenue to take. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I love that you said the movement ends of things because so many people are like, oh, I'm in pain. I don't want to move. Mm-hmm. But the more that you're in pain and discomfort and not moving, it tends to heighten the discomfort. Not meaning that you go take a hike for 10 miles, <laughs> but maybe just getting up and just walking into a couple of different rooms. That's definitely one key piece. And I always try to educate people on pelvic floor relaxation techniques through yoga moves, if that's what they relate to, breathing, if that makes it a little bit easier for them. Because so many times, a lot of the pain is coming from muscle spasms. And if we can relate to how to relax those muscles, then the muscle spasm starts to go away and it starts to dial down some of that discomfort and pain that you're having. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of what you're saying, it, it sounds like connecting with your pelvic floor muscles is really important. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So unfortunately, our pelvic floor area, we've always been told is a no-no zone. We don't talk about it. We just do our business. It's, it stays in the bathroom and that's it. Oh I yeah. Love- like, like girls don't poop. Boys right. always think that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'll never forget. I think my husband was ready to kill me. One of the books at my son's book fair was all about your poo and I bought it. And he was like, who buys this? I said, me, (laughs) because I mean, animals poop and we poop and it's good to know about all that information. And the more we put up that stigma, we can't talk about it. We're not really educating ourselves at all about it for sure. Hilarious. I mean, I was always like, so self-conscious about people thinking I'm pooping. If I take too long in the bathroom, like when I was in school or, you know, when you first start dating somebody, you don't want to poop or fart in front of them. At least I would say most people. Um, and honestly, my, my brother and his girlfriend, they would kill me if they knew I was saying this out loud, but they've been dating for like six years and they still won't fart in front of each other. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, do you hold it in? Do you like, I know it's crazy. It really is so crazy to me. And you know, my, my mom, I always like roast her because she is like a fart shamer. (laughs) I like am so on edge when I'm at home because if I fart in front of her, she yells at me and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to, to my house. (laughs) You should tell her that you have your pelvic floors interest at front in my pelvic floors best interest, mom. Thank you. Yes, definitely say that to her because the more that you hold those things, and I mean, like we experience if you hold in pee and you do it for too long, that's how you get a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. So once you do that once, you learn that lesson and you never do it again. But we don't really feel the repercussions as much when we're doing that with gas or with our poop. Because I mean, sure, we might become constipated, but we can still get things out, but we're not really getting too much repercussion. But we don't realize it actually is a pretty big one. The more that we keep holding that in, it actually stretches one of the sphincters on the inside. So we have one on the outside. Mm -hmm. The one that's on the inside is the one that tells us, hey, this is stool or hey, this is gas. The more that we hold things, it starts to get stretched because if it's stool, we'll start to get stretched and stretched. And then now it's not able to communicate to you and say, hey, this is something you might want to hold in or nope, you can let this go. And that's how when you're much older, sometimes you can start to have those easy accidents of stool coming out because you've overstretched that internal sphincter. So you can definitely use that. (laughs) Use that against her. I will show her this recording. Actually, I'm probably not going to, but she's probably going to want to listen to it anyway. Still going to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, hilarious. Um, But I feel like I cut you off back when you were talking about better connecting with your pelvic floor. Oh yeah. Thank you. So um, I was like, I know that there was a whole point to Mm -hmm. come back to it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the biggest thing is us connecting back to those muscles because for so long, we never really talked about it. We fully disconnected and making sure that we understand what's happening with those muscles really makes it easy for us to have our bowel movement to understand, okay, really holding a lot of tension right now. I really need to start letting it go so that my hip doesn't start to bother me. My hip, my back doesn't start to bother me. And then we're starting to actually connect with what's happening down there. And then the best part of that whole thing, tying it back into something completely different that we haven't really talked about. So many women, when they're having sex 
are totally disconnected with what's happening down there. They don't know if they're pushing, they don't know if they're contracting, they don't know if they're holding things. And that's how we start to have really painful intercourse, or we start to have all these other dysfunctions after having intercourse where we don't even know what's going on down there. The more that we can start to connect with that, it actually increases the pleasure. And you might even start to notice that your orgasms are easier for them to happen too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, So, and I've noticed personally, personally, um, that I hold a lot of tension in my pelvic floor. Like when I'm stressed, that's where I hold it. And I've also noticed in the IC community, there's a lot of other people who do that. So how can people like me work on that? Yeah, that it's, it's definitely an area for, for women easily to hold a lot of stress, trauma experiences, all of that right into that area. Um, men do it too. They just don't realize they do it as much for sure. One of the biggest things that I like to do is actually to take a hand towel and roll it up just a little bit. And then you sit on it on whether it's a cushion surface or a stool that might have a little bit of cushion to it. Sometimes people do it on a harder surface where it's just wood. It's a lot of feedback. So I always say, do whatever feels comfortable and you sit on it so that it's hitting the pubic bone and hitting the tailbone. When you first sit down, you might notice, oh, wow, there's nothing on my tailbone. It's all sitting on my pubic bone or vice versa. It's all on my tailbone and there's nothing on my pubic bone. So that front bone that sits right in the front pubic bone, um, then that's really good information for you. You're probably, your pelvis is sitting in that position most of the time. You're probably either sitting back all the time or you're sitting too far forward all the time. And ideally we want to be in a neutral position. So that's kind of the first, and then I always educate doing pelvic tilts. So you're rolling the pelvis forward to be on that front bone, rolling backwards. So you're on the tailbone, but letting it being driven by your core, the abdominal muscles in the front, rather than being overdriven by the back muscles too much when you're going into some of those tilts. And then once you're in that neutral, then I start to teach people how to feel the pelvic floor with breath, because remember the diaphragm and the breath, they're going to work together. So when you take that inhale, diaphragm is going to come down so it can fill the lungs. Pelvic floor is very gradually going to be coming down into that that um, towel that you have wrapped up and giving you feedback. As you exhale, you don't need to activate anything. You're just naturally feel that gentle lift away from that. And then we could do belly, big belly, hard on there. So you can feel the lengthening component of things. And then that way you actually start to say, oh, wow. Okay. If I'm doing a contraction on here, which I do normally gradually get to also known as Kegels, then you start to say, okay, when I start to tighten that, am I overdoing my tightening because now my inner thigh muscles are coming together or what I call the butt lift off. You're squeezing your butt with it. That means that you're using accessory muscles. You're not really just using the pelvic floor. So then that's just information for you that maybe when you're fatigued, that will be your pattern that you go to learning what a true contraction feels like at 25% and then how to let it go. Cause most of us don't let it go. We hold on to that and then keep building from there. So really just kind of connecting with what all those different things feel like down there for you. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think I understand what you're saying. And, you know, I'm definitely going to talk about this with my pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, Yeah. And I wanted to know, like, how do, how do you recommend people finding a pelvic floor physical therapist near them? Like, can they just search it online or is there another, is there a specific way they should be looking? Yeah. So some people will go to that because in this day and age where we're so connected on the computer, it's easy for us to say, Oh, let me just ask Google or let me ask this search engine and let me just check this out. Um, Facebook pages, those different types of things. There's a lot of resources for that. My best piece of advice is if that's the only resource that you have, definitely you can go down that avenue. My first recommendation would be to ask a friend or a family member or even your doctor if they have someone. Ideally, you want someone that has experienced treatment from that person because you really want to know an idea of what you're getting into. Pelvic floor PT, remember you said it before, it's kind of scary. All of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, someone wants to do what? And they want to do it where? Like, what is going on? So if you can talk to someone who's already gone through the process of what it looks like, it can start to ease it and make it a little bit easier. 
Um, but if you're not able to get that and you're not able to ask a friend because either people don't talk about it or you don't have a friend who's already been going to one, then there is a website called, um, let me pull it up. So it's through Herman and Wallace and it's called pelvicrehab.com. On there, you can type in your either a pelvic floor PT if you've been recommended that or which most of us really haven't been, you can just type in your zip code and then it will give you the pelvic floor PTs that are in your area. There are two different types that you're gonna see on that website. You are going to be seeing someone that probably comes up first. It's gonna, they're probably gonna have yellow next to their name. That means that they're certified. They took a special test. They have that certification for 10 years and they are really well-versed within the area. The ones after that are people who have taken coursework and are able to practice PT, public floor specific. Um, and it's just pretty much my best piece of recommendation is look at the list. Um, make sure that you're looking at recommendations through friends or going through and checking their reviews and seeing kind of what people have said to you about their experiences with them. Google reviews on their website, reviews, Facebook reviews, wherever you can find them, those types of things for sure. Can they call that person's office and ask more questions or is that like not realistic? Yeah, that that's a good question. It depends on the person. Some, most people who are in pelvic floor PT, they really want the best for their patients. So they want to make sure that you feel comfortable with them too. It's not like, oh, you need pelvic floor PT and sure. I'm going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much like, okay, I really want to make sure this is the best relationship and have that. So depending on the person, they might be able to do that. Um, in my setting, I actually offer something called a 15 minute discovery session. So it's a zoom meeting online. I get a snapshot of what they've been experiencing. And then I explain kind of my treatment, things that we would be able to go through. They can ask me questions back. And then we decide, yeah, is this going to be a good fit? Or, hey, you know what? At this time, I think I'm going to start looking somewhere else or doing something else. Or, I mean, we allow it to be flexible. There's no commitments with that 15-minute discovery session. Yeah, that's great. Because I know a lot of people are looking for somebody who does take insurance, but at the same time, you might not be able to get the level of care that you want if you go that avenue. So it really just depends on the individual person and what they're looking for. I think there's a lot of frustration where if somebody goes to a public floor physical therapist near them for IC and they find that either they walk in and the first visit, the person's telling them to do Kegels or they just don't really vibe with them. And then they get you know, frustrated because it does take a while to get into a lot of places. It doesn't seem like there's that many public floor PTs in this country. Mm-hmm. So it, I feel like that's just a general frustration among the IC community. Yeah. I mean, we definitely see that too. A lot of people who are insurance-based, I think their wait list is one to three months at this point right now, for sure. It's, it's definitely hard to get in, in that way. Um, in this setting, I mean, I know I'm not insurance-based, but some people use their HSA or FSA as well. Um, and some people even will submit to their insurance for their out of network and depending on their plans, um, it goes towards a deductible and some people might be able to get reimbursed. It just depends on your plan. Some people just apply it to that and they just go with it. They're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a, a different setting. Uh, the one big thing that I always do too, that's a little different in a traditional setting, they get so focused on pretty much like always giving you your home exercise program and you got to do these exercises and then people wait to do those exercises until they come into PT. And that was kind of one of always like, even in the orthopedic setting, it always kind of was like, well, like, what's the point? (laughs) What are we doing? And because in this setting, I'm seeing people once a week, I'm seeing them for that hour. And then sometimes I'm not seeing them until a week later, two weeks later, later on. And then sometimes four weeks later, just for check-ins to see how things are. My biggest goal is for it to all integrate into your day-to-day life, integrate it into the current exercise program you might be doing, and just making sure that 
yeah, you're getting your pelvic floor exercises in or you're doing whatever exercises we're working on to help you, but it's not this, oh, I have to do my PT exercises. It's really just exercises for your health to make you feel better at that point. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I guess another thing I want to ask, but let me preface this. I don't want any PTs listening to this to get offended, but is there such a thing as a bad pelvic floor physical therapist? Um, that's, that's a, <laughs> I'm happy you prefaced that one. Loaded question. <laughs> I know it is. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't specifically say that they're not the best. I would say the thing is, is sometimes we get so wrapped up in thinking there's something that's better for the patient that they're not ready for whatever it ends up being. And I think that's when we really mess the ball. I'm not saying that I haven't done it before where it's kind of like, Oh, I I think it's going to be really good for you to start putting some weight in your hand and start to add some exercises with deadlifts and those types of things. And they come back and it was like, I just wasn't ready for it. I mean, it does, it happens for sure, but just making sure that you leave that open communication and actually listen to your patient and willing to recognize, okay, yeah, that probably wasn't the best thing. Let's change it. Then you're okay. But people who aren't really listening to the patients and are just going through the motions and just doing things for the sake of checking off a box and doing exercises, because that's what a protocol says and not tailoring it to the patient probably isn't doing the best care for that specific patient, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So kind of like meeting the patient where they're at in the present. And I feel like for people who are listening that maybe they have an experience where they don't feel like their PT is hearing them, maybe speak up. And if they still continue, or if you still continue to feel like you're not being heard, or getting what you need, then go find somebody else. It's really Mm -hmm. about getting what's best for you. Yeah, I completely agree with it. And it's very well said. Definitely. Thank Thank you very much. So I guess in conclusion, is there anything else you want people to know about pelvic floor physical therapy? Yeah. So a lot of times we kind of just get this rep that all we do is Kegels. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of like, oh, public for PT Kegels. Uh-huh. Mm, yes and no. <laughs> so we kind of talked about understanding the different levels of the pelvic floor, the contraction, relaxation, and the lengthening component of it. Contraction is definitely something you're going to do. That's the Kegels, but making sure that you're not just going and doing those things. Like if someone says, oh, well, I think you really should go see public floor PT. That doesn't mean you're going to jump right in to going right into doing Kegels. Like, don't think that's going to be what your home exercise program is. Um, Recognizing that Kegels really aren't the best thing for everyone either. There's definitely a time and a place to strengthen the muscles, but we wouldn't strengthen muscles that are already shortened. So if you think about your bicep, if your bicep is bent up, you wouldn't start strengthening that only five degrees of range of motion. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that to your pelvic floor either. So it's important to learn to relax it first before we start to go right into contraction. Okay. Yeah. I think Kegels are definitely a hot topic. And like I said earlier, I've heard people say like they went to see a pelvic floor PT and they started them with Kegels. And I feel like that's like a, a red flag for people with IC, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so someone I mean, might do it first. Cause if it's like, Oh, well, we've already been to pelvic floor PT. So we might be able to jump right into it, but that's where I started to do more diving to see, okay, well, where was your program before? Like, are we actually at that point? And even if someone has been with a pelvic floor PT and I always say, it, and I say that there's no disrespect to how they were taught before, but I do my contractions very different. The same exact example, if you're working out in the gym and you're doing bicep curls, you're not going to be lifting out that 20 pound weight as hard as you can, because you don't want to smack yourself in the face. You're going to do the same exact thing with your pelvic floor. You're going to do nice load contractions that are only at 25%. So that works really well for some people to say 25%, got it. 
doesn't work for everyone else. So I use different examples to make sure that they can feel that it's very gentle. It's not this really strong contraction, because if we have that strong contraction, the pelvic floor is going to hold on to it. And now we're going back to only strengthening that five degree range of motion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it, you really taught me so much about <laughs> different topics that all fall into the pelvic floor arena. So I thank you so much for all of that. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a good time with it. Thank you. All right. That was such an informative episode. Even I was learning so many things, um, especially the barefoot therapy thing. That that still gets me. Um, I think it's so cool that there's things like that out there that are just so unique. Um, I just wanted to remind you guys, if you love the show, rate it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. If you want the episodes to automatically download each week, then just hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for tuning in. I will talk to you next week.